One of the biggest benefits of the three-dimensional program is that students can really learn the value of productive struggle and how to solve their own problems, not just on their own, but especially in collaboration with their peers. It better represents the way scientists actually understand the world for sure, but I'd say it's also a lot more equitable. Hi, and welcome to Twig Education on 3D Science. I'm Dr. Kim Mueller, and I'm excited today to be talking to Lauren Stahl, who is an assessment and curriculum designer for Stanford University's SCALE team, which is the Center for Assessment, Learning, and Equity. We're going to be talking about the Twig Science program and the contributions the SCALE team made to designing the program. We'll also discuss the challenges and benefits of 3D science standards, such as the NGSS, and what it means for these standards to take a more student-centered rather than teacher-centered approach. So let's get started. Welcome, Lauren. Hey, Kim. Happy to be here. I wanted to talk to you about how you were a person who ended up working for Stanford designing curriculum and instruction, because I think a lot of teachers out there think, well, that's a cool gig Lauren got for herself. What has been your education journey that led you to work at the SCALE group? I actually came to SCALE completely by chance. I was teaching sixth grade science, and I was a first year teacher when the early drafts of NGSS came out. And it was completely up to each of us to design our own curriculum, to try to implement the standards. I was at a small school, so there wasn't a lot of collaboration that was able to happen. And I just desperately wanted some support. But I also had a lot of ideas of what I wanted my science classroom to look like. And I came across SCALE, actually. They were doing a pilot program for math. And I heard that they were also doing a NGSS pilot curriculum. So I ultimately begged onto that team and used some of my own time and my sub days to head over to Stanford and be part of their design team in planning that first project-based curriculum that was aligned with NGSS. So after a year of really bugging them with all of my feedback and ideas, they started taking me on to do some part-time work, which I did while I was teaching. And at some point, a more full-time position opened up, which I took because I was just super excited at the idea of bringing quality instructional materials to teachers so that they don't have to reinvent the wheel every time which is something I feel like especially science teachers have to do a lot. And so this is what is continuing to motivate me in the work that I'm doing today. That's a great story of being able to really make an impact for teachers, especially in the the science realm. For people that aren't familiar with the Stanford SCALE group, what is the mission of Stanford Center for Assessment, Learning, and Equity? Yeah, so I think you can hear a lot in what SCALE stands for in terms of assessment and learning and equity. We're trying to improve instruction and learning through the design and development of performance assessments following a very particular framework and model for developing those assessments. And then a lot of uh, our work actually is around building capacity of schools to use these in thoughtful ways, making sure that teachers have access to quality assessments, but also understand how to use them. And most importantly, to not just use them to evaluate students, but also to push instructional decisions. So we really believe in assessment as part of that learning cycle. So teachers might hear this often described as assessment for learning. I think it's great to be able to have those kinds of resources as a teacher because we have been talking about informed instruction through data, but being able to really understand the assessments themselves, being able to look at the results and the data and to have that impact um, your instruction is something that, that needs to be learned. And I think that that is one of the shifts that teachers are feeling 
I think the biggest shift for me is the shift away from a teacher-centered to a more student-centered instructional approach. So when I walk into classrooms now, I'll see instead of the teacher providing information to the whole class and posing these kinds of questions to one student, get a response back, that kind of model, you'll see students posing the questions or students planning their own investigations instead of teachers giving them to them. I'll see a lot of students engaging in these kind of open-ended discussions that focus on more of the evidence and reasoning that students are providing and rather than just one right answer. And so that I think is the biggest shift is the teacher becoming more of a facilitator that's just there to provide these kind of slight nudges when necessary, but definitely seeing students learning concepts as needed to actually explain things or design solutions. Sometimes when I, I talk to teachers and you tell them it's student-centered, it's like, oh, that's a circus. You know, how do we not have it be a circus, but be directed and have those experiences? And I think that topic leads into talking about NGS in the three dimensions and how that really does create a structured environment in a sense for them to be able to let go of that control of the classroom and give it to the students as young scientists. What is the easiest way? Um, I've talked about this with teachers all the time and I can see you chuckling like an easy way to, to really explain those three dimensions, not only in the lessons, but through the assessments. You know, you've likely heard the analogy of the three dimensions of the NGSS as the three legs that make up the stool, right? The stool being the performance expectation. I like that visual. It really helps. I've also heard when you describe the SEP as what students do and the DCI as what students know and the CCC as what students think. Um, So I think those are some quick little tips to get people oriented to the dimensions. But I actually think the easiest way to explain the three dimensions is to compare with the old standards. If you looked at an old let's say a biology standard, it will start with the words, I will know, right? So it'll say something like, I will know how natural selection determines, etc. But now a standard like that in middle school might say something like, apply the concepts of statistics and probability to explain, and then it'll talk about natural selection. So you can really see the differences between those of, yes, both are including that content, but now we're really incorporating the practices and the cross-cutting concepts in there. So I think that juxtaposition is super helpful. One other term that comes up a lot is um, phenomena when we're dealing with this new generation of science lessons and a new look at the science classroom. Could you define that term for our listeners and explain why it has taken center stage in these new science programs? Phenomena, while I've come to love them as the most exciting thing about the shifts in the standards, were like the bane of my existence. When I was first trying to orient myself to NGSS, I was so confused about what is a phenomenon? How do I use it? Does this count as one? Does this not? So this is, I think this is a really helpful question. Just to define it in general, phenomena as NGSS describes it is those observable events in the world that we can use our scientific knowledge to explain or to design a solution associated with a phenomenon. What's really key here is that we want to ask students to figure something out about the phenomenon. The description of the phenomenon itself is not enough, or we want them to design a solution to a problem that arises from some phenomenon. Something that helped me a lot is to remember that those words specific and observable. So moving past just the scientific concept, and a lot of this helps with examples. So I remember when I was doing a training with some teachers developing performance assessments, And they said they wanted their phenomenon to be natural selection. 
So that was a, a learning moment for me, right? Like natural selection is a scientific concept, but we had to try to take that and turn it into a phenomenon. So they decided to go with an antibiotic resistant strain of staff in hospitals, for example. So it really has to be something that students can engage with and try to figure something out about it. It's kind of like the need to know that motivates students to engage with it. Previously, before phenomena, students would come out of science classrooms with these kind of disconnected facts and concepts. They couldn't necessarily really apply it to the world around them, and thus it might not have been particularly meaningful to them. So phenomena are a way for teachers and thus their students to really ground the NGSS standards within contexts that are actually meaningful and relevant. Is there a particular phenomena that's one of your favorites, either that you've done with your classes or worked with teachers on in training or just that you have a personal connection to? I've developed dozens of assessments at this point for TWIG, and there's a new phenomenon for everyone. And so some of them are really fascinating, right? Like, I didn't know about sea urchin barons in California. I didn't know about the moths that have developed an adaptation to avoid bats. So there's all these cool ones for me that's been really fun to learn about in order to develop the assessment. It's less about what I think is cool, and it's more about what the students think is cool and going to be interesting and meaningful to them. They really like the phenomenon when we actually ask them for their own ideas instead of just one or right way to explain this phenomenon. So that often happens when we ask them to solve a problem that leaves them feeling like they actually added something to the world. You know, designing a plan to mitigate a natural hazard or helping scientists solve the problem with biosphere too. So it, it's them feeling like they have some agency and that they matter. You mentioned creating these assessments for the TWIG science program. What role did Stanford Center for Assessment Learning and Equity play in the creation of TWIG science? Yeah, so we were responsible for developing all of the performance assessments for K through six and six through eight. So when I say performance assessment, I mean the short performance assessments that are in both uh, K through six and six through eight, and then a few instructionally embedded assessments that are also in K through six. And these are the ones that are the phenomenon based assessments that look more like short answer responses and project based than the multiple choice ones. And then we also developed these analytic rubrics to score them so that you can really see a range of student performance. And we talked at the beginning of this podcast about the importance of thinking about assessment for learning. We try to structure these analytic rubrics in a way that you're not just evaluating and giving a score, but really thinking about how to push students to progress and use that data to drive instruction for students and target exactly what their needs are. What do you think is the biggest sticking point that you've encountered working with teachers and trying to implement these new standards in the classroom? Before I started teaching in my student teaching year, I developed what I thought was a great curriculum it was done. I was excited. And the next generation science standards came out. And so I'd say one big barrier is adapting the curriculum that teachers have already been using. They probably spent a lot of time developing it. And no one wants to abandon all the work that they've done. I completely understand that. And so that is one big barrier. But luckily, TWIG does solve that problem for teachers, right? Like, this is exactly why I came into scale in the first place is I want to bring high quality instructional materials so that teachers don't have to do this reinventing every time. And it does require relinquishing some of those content topics that you may have taught in the past in a lot of detail that might either be lighter in the standards with more an emphasis on the practices or they might not be there at all. 
And then in terms of instruction, I think the biggest sticking point for the shift in standards relates to what we were talking about earlier of moving from a teacher-centered approach to a student-centered approach is you have to give the space for students to productively struggle. You have to let them run up against the barriers and you can support them with helping them solve that problem on their own. But it does require us as teachers to put more of the intellectual work onto students and it's really hard for us. It's in our nature to want to jump in and help and support, but this is one of the most valuable parts about the multidimensional approach is allowing students to have the agency to solve those problems and that takes time. I talk a lot about trusting the shift when I do trainings with districts. And, you know, you kind of get that half smile of, okay, lady, sure, uh, we'll trust that, you know, having the students have more, in, in a sense, power over what they're doing in the classroom is going to work. Can you um, kind of leave us today with talking about the benefits that you've seen of students experiencing this three-dimensional student-centered experience for science? So I think I alluded to it a bit in the last question as one of the sticking points, but it's also one of the biggest benefits of the three-dimensional program is that students can really learn the value of productive struggle and how to solve their own problems, not just on their own, but especially in collaboration with their peers, since that's a huge part of the shift in instruction. And as we talked about in some earlier questions as well, it also allows them to engage with the real and authentic practices of scientists and engineers. So they actually get to feel like they're doing science. And this can be really identity building. So Previously, students might not have been able to see themselves as scientists and engineers, but now that they're actually engaging in these authentic practices, it becomes much more likely that they will. And lastly, I think this shift away from this kind of binary right-wrong model of science instruction, it better represents the way scientists actually understand the world for sure. But I'd say it's also a lot more equitable in terms of classroom instruction because it becomes much more inclusive of the different students you have and their different ideas and perspectives. And so in that way, NGSS and TWIG science curriculum and the instruction that you're going to bring to your students becomes a lot more equitable. I want to thank you today for your time and for your insights into the shifts of NGSS. And I am excited to uh, talk to you maybe again in the future about the impacts that you're having in curriculum design and assessment. Yeah, definitely. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks, Lauren. 